0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So last week, we started talking about the fact that we want to be known as an empowerment community that is built around an empowerment culture, where we are walking in pursuit of what God has placed on our lives, where we are encouraging one another to walk in pursuit of what he's put on your life. You have something on your life that someone else needs. We're going to continue to say that. And if that's the case, then we want to bring that to the forefront. We want to make sure that what God has placed inside of us is not just staying inside of us, but it's being brought to the community. It's being brought to our families. It's being brought to our friends and those around us. We want to be an empowerment culture and we want to be known as a church who is empowered by our identity in Christ. We also want to be known as a church who empowers one another. We want to be the friends and the family standing around each other, calling out the good, calling out the truth of what God has said, being the ones that can recognize a lie in someone else and say, that's not what God says. What God has said is that you are more than a conqueror that you've been created in his image and his likeness, that he has plans and a purpose for your life. We want to be the community of believers who are building one another up. And we want to be a church where we cheer each other on and that you know when you come forward and you bring what God has put on your life, that you are going to be empowered to bring your gifts to the table. An empowerment culture. But as we were finishing last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes there are things that we have allowed in our life that prevent us from stepping into this empowerment. The things that prevent us from saying yes to maybe the opportunities that God wants to bring forward or just the places of faith that he's calling us to step into. And we said that the first thing that often causes us to not step into empowerment is that we believe in this thing called disqualification. We look back to our past and we believe that that disqualifies us from what God wants to do in our future We look back to the things that others have said about us The things that we have believed to be true The things that maybe our parents said to us or how they made us feel as we were growing up Maybe that thing that that person said to you in second grade that you still remember Anyone else have one of those? Somebody said something as a kid and you just remember it certain things come up and it trips that memory and you remember what they said about you we we disqualify ourselves based off of the past and we don't say yes to what God wants to do in our future but also disqualification comes from other people as well yes the things that they have said but maybe the times where we've been in church we've been in a place that was supposed to be a safe place for us to come forward with God is what God has put on our heart and then we feel like we've been dismissed We feel like what God was putting on our heart hasn't been valued or honored. And so we walk away with the feeling that maybe I just don't have anything to bring to the table. See, that disqualification part, whether it's us doing it or someone else doing it to us, is really important for us to recognize. The second thing is fear, once again. Fear that stops us from stepping out in faith. And then ultimately causes us to tear down others. The thing that doesn't want anyone else to get too far or to get ahead because we have a fear that we're never going to be able to get to that point on our own. Fear is a powerful thing. And then third, and this is the one that we're going to talk about here this morning, I felt like in prayer a couple of weeks ago, God put this, this theme in my heart, which is called the mountain of self. The things in our life that we can't seem to get past, get over, get through, get around, they're these things that exist in our life that have caused us to take our attention away from God and to place it on ourself, and in doing so, have disconnected us from the places in our lives where God wants to empower us and to use us to do something amazing. And this is the one that we're going to talk about here this morning, because these are the things that lead to frustration, disconnection, and distraction. The things that we have allowed to grow into mountains in our lives, they may have started small, but they've gotten much bigger, and they're preventing us from going to where we want to go. Now, these are called the mountains of self, but... I very easily could have called this the iceberg of self. Because very often when we're looking at ourselves or we're looking at others, we tend to just focus on the parts that are on the surface without recognizing the mass and the foundation and the weight of all of it that, beneath, that exists beneath the surface. These are the things that cause the reactions that we don't like. That cause us to run to things for for coping for healing for distraction These are the things that we don't often look at but these are the reasons why we deal with the things that we're dealing with It's the stuff that produces the behavior and the manifestations of something much bigger And it's often the thing that we respond to in other people It's the things that we respond to out of their response it's when we interact with people based off of their first fa- facade and the image that they've put forward And we interact with, with who they aren't really but who they want you to think that they are and, and then there's no connection It's the part of us that we want other people to see But there really isn't any depth to it And what we do often is then we respond to the feelings that have been produced by these things We respond by the way that we feel because We don't have a real sense of security or identity. And maybe sometimes we don't look at these things just because we don't feel like we have the time or the energy to really dive deeper and find out what God is really saying. But here's the thing about salvation that I want to look at today. Because salvation is that amazing place where Jesus has come in and he has done the thing that we could not do on our own. Jesus took us from the place where we were, from the place where we couldn't pay the price that we needed to to find the salvation. He did the thing that we couldn't do, and he took us as we were in a place of imperfection, in the mess that we were in, in the place where we didn't like ourselves or didn't like what we were going through, and he did what we could not do. And that's the most amazing gift that we have in salvation. But here's the thing. We were never meant to stop At the moment of salvation, and say, Okay, we're good now. We're good now. I've got my ticket ready to go. I'm going into eternity with Jesus, and I'm just going to stay right here. Because the thing about salvation is, it doesn't just give us the ability to come into right standing with Jesus, but it gives us the ability to step into the process of sanctification, of growth of maturing into the men and women that he's called us to be. I want to read out of Ephesians chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 3. This is Paul speaking. He said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul said, I want you to pursue unity. I want you to pursue wholeness in the body. And the way that you do this is by walking in the manner that is worthy of which you've been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. This this word bearing to me means this is not easy. This is not natural. Bearing with one another in love to produce unity is not something that we do very easily. It's something that we have to really pursue the grace of God to be able to step into those places and to forgive where we need to forgive, to, to step aside and, and go past the, the, the offenses and the wrong things that other people have done and to say, I'm going to pursue unity even when it hurts. Th- this is what Paul is calling us to go after, to go after unity. But the things that bring disunity are the behaviors and the thought processes and all the things that come out of us. The byproduct of our wrong beliefs, our wrong thinking. These are the things that bring disunity. And Paul continues in verse 11. He says, And he gave Jesus the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Can we say that today? Mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul is very good at putting a lot of words in a short sentence that we really got to go through and, and break down but he says this he says i want you to understand that the gifts given by christ the offices of the apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher they're for the edification of the body they're to bring you into the truth they're to help you develop your gifts and to become who you were meant to be and then he says i want you to step into the unity of faith once again the unity the unity of the body into mature manhood now this word mature is a really important word for us to take a look at this morning. It's the Greek word teleos. And what this word means is perfect and complete. Paul is saying that I want you to aspire to walk into such a deep connection, understanding of who Jesus is, that you're walking into a place of completion and Perfection. Now, we get no amens on that because we don't think that we ever are capable of being perfect because we know ourselves very, very well. Perfection is not something that, that we aspire to do because we know our faults, we know our shortcomings. But here's the thing. Jesus uses this word a couple of times as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, he says, You have heard, it, heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, as he always does, raises the bar. Takes it up another level. He says, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He goes on to say in verse 48, therefore, you must be perfect. That same word, teleos, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand this because I don't think perfection is ever something I'm going to attain in this lifetime. But Jesus said, do these things, go in pursuit of these things, and you will be sons of the Father, and you will be walking in perfection. Really, what this can only mean is that when we accepted Jesus into our hearts, that our spirit was so sanctified was so redeemed when he said in second corinthians 5 21 that you are the righteousness of god in christ jesus that it means that in our spirit when we grab a hold of what he has said that we are actually going after perfection in jesus in jesus it doesn't happen in our flesh but in christ we can go back to ephesians chapter one in christ in christ in christ this is what you have in christ We have to recognize our identity in Christ. Jesus goes on to say again in Matthew 19, verses 16 and 21. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, or teleos, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And the man said, Amen. says he walked away very sad because he had a whole lot of stuff. Had a whole lot of stuff. But Jesus said, if you're going to be perfect, like you've done all of these things up to this point, that's great. But if you're going to aspire to perfection, to really being in pursuit of what I've called you to do, go and do these things. So using my skills of deductive reasoning, I would say that two things have become very evident from these passages. Number one, Jesus has called us to a very high standard, perfection. And two, the only way we achieve this is by doing the exact opposite of what we would normally want to do. Let's just simplify it. He's called us to a very high standard, and the only way that we reach that standard is, is by doing the exact opposite of what we think we should do, what we want to do, and going after our own desires. There was an episode of Seinfeld, if I remember correctly, where George decided he was going to do everything different that day. Everything that he didn't normally do, he was going to do that thing. We don't have too many Seinfeld fans in the room, or at least no one wants to, uh, to admit to it today. You see, we want to be the ones who are never wrong, who never have to apologize, who want to be the ones who are, are looked at as being the one with all the answers. And we want to find our value and our identity in things that don't matter, in possessions, in identity, in, in the way that people see us. But Jesus says, pursue unity, love your enemies. You know, the people who have done you wrong and don't deserve your forgiveness? Those people. And you better understand where your identity and your value comes from. Because it doesn't come from all these other tangible things. It comes from who I have made you to be. If you want to go after the unity, if you want to go after the standard that Jesus has, then we need to understand the mountains that we have built in our life and what the reasoning is behind them. Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 to 26 says that Jesus then told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus said. Once again, salvation isn't just saying yes to Jesus and that's it, we're good to go. Salvation is saying yes to Jesus and then understanding that there is a process that we start on, that we enter into, where he takes what we have to offer and he transforms our lives to be able to see him, to be able to see who he's made us to be, and to be able to understand the grace that he's made available for each one of us to become the men and the women that he's created us to be. Do we have any imperfect people in the room today? All right, so this is really good news, isn't it? Pastor David preached the message on Wednesday night that I encourage you to go back and listen to, but he really summed it up nicely. He said, sometimes, church, you just got to understand that it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Sometimes we hold on to these things. We want to see the move of God. We want to see the Spirit of God flowing. We want to see all these things, but someone comes into the door, and we don't really agree with the way that they're dressed or agree with some things about them, and then we start to question and judge and do all these other things, And God's saying, I I need you to come up to a higher level. If Jesus is saying, forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, what is he saying about the person that walks into our church that doesn't look the way that we think that they should look? It's time to grow up. And not just in that area, across the board, for all of us. And we will continue to grow up until the day that we go to be with Jesus. So let's talk about this... This mountain here today. The mountain of self. We're going to look at the five parts of this mountain and we're going to start with number one. This is something we talked about a couple weeks ago, but this is the base camp. This is also a good time to have your church notebooks because you'll have the notes for today. Number one is the base camp. Number one is the, the initial part. As we're starting to climb this mountain and then to address these things one by one, Number one is the lack of true identity. This to me is where a lot of these things stem from. We don't understand fully who God is and therefore we don't fully understand who we are. And there's this lack of a true identity. And we once again allow our past to dictate our future. It's where we ally the lies of the enemy to tell us who we are and to be more focused and to be more centered around those things than the truth of what god has said we lose sight of the fact that we were created in the image of god we lose sight of the fact that he's called us to walk in in his grace and his truth to be able to become who he's made us to be we lose sight of ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 that says that we are his inheritance That he loves us so much that he looks at us as his inheritance. That the reason that he sent Jesus to this earth is so that we could come back into a place of being unified and being reunited with him. That means he loves us just a little bit. But we lose sight of this. We lose sight of what it says in Lamentations 3, where it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Not my faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. When we understand this truth, and we begin to have a better understanding of who we are and who he has made us to become. But when we exist on this level, what happens is we allow our circumstances to become louder than his grace, and we become the ones who decide what we're worthy or unworthy of. And really this results in or is a byproduct of some form of shame in our life it's the place of shame where we have allowed circumstances or lies of the enemy or or things that we've gone through to speak louder than his voice and the thing about shame is that shame is always toxic that it corrupts anything that it touches you could have the most beautiful outward look of who you are and and your image for the world around you but if there's shame in there It is going to riddle everything that you have because it is pervasive in every area. And it always brings us back to this place of looking at what I don't have. Shame always results in us looking at something and saying, I don't have something that I need. And and on every journey, in every step of the journey on on the way up this mountain, there is an I statement that goes along with it. And the I statement for this level is I don't have. This is who I am, and this is why I don't have this thing. And this is a lack of identity that is always going to result in that next level, which is where we have a focus on the deficit. We have a focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have and what Jesus has given to us. We, We focus more on the deficit because we think about that thing that we don't have And if we had that thing, then everything would be better. If we just had that one thing that someone else has, then then life would be a lot easier. We, We think about what other people have. If I only had the car, the spouse the house, the job, the parents, the kids, the money, the looks, the height, the connections, the education, the followers, the voice, the creativity, the gifts, talents, calling, and the list goes on and on and on. If I only had that thing, then my life would be complete, then I would be able to move forward in what God's called me to do, and we look at the deficit, and the deficit becomes the defining truth in our life. Has anyone else ever had one of those things in your life? If I had that thing, then everything would be better. But then a lot of times, we or people get that thing, and then they realize, it's not what I thought it was going to be, and then there becomes a new thing. Happens almost like, it's almost so predictable in celebrity, like, they, they rise to this level of fame, and and they have money, and they have followers, and they have all this stuff, and this was going to be the thing that was going to make me happy. And yet you find they're still in a place of depression and sadness, because that thing was not the thing that was going to define them. But when we focus on the deficit, then we empower the lie that says, I'm not good enough on my own. I need that thing. It, it's that thought process where maybe we don't think these words specifically, but God You didn't make me enough. Or we deduce from what other people have said that that I've messed up too bad and I'll never be who I'm supposed to be. And the more that we focus on that lie, the more power it has in our life. The more that I focus on what I don't have, because I don't really know who I am, I don't really know my identity. Well then, that becomes an excuse in my life eventually. Eventually. I don't have that thing I'm not going to become enough So now I don't really have to walk In the, the manner that is worthy Of what I've been called to do I kind of just reduce myself To my situation and my circumstances and I stopped going after the maturity, I stopped going after the growth, I stopped going after the transformation in Jesus. And so then I could still be a Christian and I can still still believe the, the truth of God ultimately, but I, I've never gone any farther than where I am, and I keep going through the same things over and over and over again because I believe the lie of what I don't have instead of believing the truth of what He says about me. We we can't live our lives focusing in on a deficit. See, the more that we do this, the more that we start to move into other areas because after a while it becomes uncomfortable to keep looking at what I don't have. And so we very naturally move into the next level, level three, which is judgment. It's the place where I have to blame somebody for the situation that I'm in. So the I statement here is I will blame. Level one is I am not. Level two is I don't have, and level three is I will blame, because shame always needs a victim. Shame always needs somebody to point the finger at. And for some of us, it's very easy and very natural for us to blame ourselves, to be our own worst critic, to look in the mirror and not like what we see, and to to punish ourselves because we feel like it's all our fault. I don't know if it's a personality thing But I see some people very naturally gravitate into into this way of thinking Where the things that you say about yourself if you heard anyone else saying it to anybody else You'd want to go punch them But but you hear yourself saying it to yourself and you agree with it These statements that we make internally come out of a deficit we need to blame somebody so we blame ourselves or We blame somebody else This is also pretty natural to some people. I I had a friend growing up, and no matter what happened, no matter what he did, no matter what mistake, it was never his fault, ever. Anybody ever meet somebody like that? You could see them doing something, catch them in the middle of it, and they're like, nope, wasn't me. I didn't do that thing. You you got the wrong person. And I've noticed lately that my beautiful little daughter, Eliana finds it very easy to blame somebody else as well. She has this sound machine that we have in her room, and it makes some white noise, and it's like the best thing ever because it helps her to stay asleep longer. It drowns out some of the noise. But I went into her room yesterday, and the sound machine wasn't on, and I was like, well, what happened? And I see that she had unplugged it. So I said, Ellie, did you unplug your sound machine? No. <laughs> okay, you didn't unplug it. Who unplugged it? Um, wub k unplugged it. I was like, oh, your brother that's still sleeping in his bed got up, went into your room, unplugged your sound machine, and then got back into bed and went to sleep? Yep. So now we've got to work on lying. So we've got we got this issue. Some of us very easily blame other people. And if it's not if it's not their fault, then they can still find plenty of fault in other people. And so this is the other part of it is that it's not just that we have to blame somebody else but in judgment we become very critical of other people so we recognize faults in ourselves and now we look for faults in other people and and so we start to question and we do this a lot in the church we, we look at oh well look what they wore and, and they can't really love jesus if they wore this i, I know it's not really to that extreme but, but we need the perfect behavior. We need them to say the perfect things and do the perfect things or else we're going to judge what they've done. And then once again, we call it discernment and we try to make it holy. Pastor Dave, I'm going to quote you again. He said, if there's somebody in the parking lot, a prostitute who comes into the church overflowing out of their clothes and, and we look at them and judge them instead of recognizing that we are the place that people should be able to come for safety to find Jesus then it's time that we really start to reconfigure our thinking. We have to focus on the things that matter and judgment is never going to bring us into the place of being in agreement with what Jesus has said. He says in John 13:35, "By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." But love and judgment are not synonymous. Love and judgment are not... They they don't go together. What does 1 Corinthians 13 tell us? Love does not seek its own good or to be the one who is right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then it goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, we know in part, but when the perfect, the teleos... When that comes, the partial will pass away. See, we can't walk in judgment and also walk in love. We can't want to be the ones who have all the answers at all times and never want to say sorry and then always want to be the one that, that has it all together and also walk in love. Love doesn't seek its own good. But when we do this and we continue to walk in blame and judgment, we very quickly end up On level four, which is the place where we have to protect ourselves. If it's someone else's fault, then they might be dangerous. So I have to put up a wall around my life to protect me from from what they're going to do. And so we we make statements like, I'm never going to let them hurt me again. I'm never going to let somebody in again because I was hurt. I'm never going to let them see who I really am. I, I don't know who I really am. And so I have to put forward this facade and I need to put forward this barrier to not let people come in close to find out that I don't really have it all together like I say that I do. We put forward protection and and we don't usually think about it on these lines, but they're the defense mechanisms that we put up to keep people at a distance. And we have a lot of different ways of doing this. Sometimes we use humor. Sometimes we use anger. Sometimes we're passive aggressive or... We're just distant so that people can't get close enough to see who we really are. We, we put these barriers up. And, and these are the things that we hit into with other people. And especially the things that produce a response. Has anyone ever been in a situation where you were speaking to somebody and you feel like you brought something at like level three and they came back at level 10 with like the nuclear option? Like you did this thing and now you're going to get all of it. And you're like, whoa. Like you've hit up against their defense mechanism you've, you've hit up against an area where They don't feel comfortable letting you in And now there is a response to it And yes, of course, we do the same thing It's the places where we have to go back And to apologize afterwards I'm sorry that I responded that way There was just this thing in me That just came out very naturally When you went to that place I, I don't know if I'm the only one That's ever had to apologize for something like that but we've got defense mechanisms that come up. And, and we could do one of two things. We could just say, well, I've got the license to do that thing because of what they did to me. Or we can look and say, well, maybe there's something deeper here that caused me to feel that way, to respond in that way. Maybe I should allow the holy spirit to come in and and start to reveal to me the places inside of me That I don't feel safe and I don't feel loved and I don't feel known or whatever the feeling is That i've allowed shame to come in and to exist Maybe I can allow the holy spirit to come in and speak truth into that place And use those as opportunities To see something that god wants to show us Finally we get to this final level which is what I said in the beginning It's the part that we tend to focus on more than anything else It's the tip of the iceberg The top of the mountain It's, it's the place where we, we really deal with people on a surface level It's the manifestations of all the stuff going on inside of us And this is what we look at sometimes is our personality, but it's not really always our personality. It's just part of us that, that comes out because of all the other things and the hurts that we've dealt with and the lies that we've believed. And, and it really is where we take license to say, because of all these things, I'm going to act this way. I'm going to be this person. And, and yes, it's defense mechanisms, but it's, it's this part that we've actually in this place turn to other things for security. Like we in of ourselves, we feel this way. We feel unsafe. And so we go after things that are going to make us feel better, like distractions or overeating or over drinking or any of the things that we go to, the the gossiping, the binge watching, the, the habits that we've gone after, the over competitive nature, which I don't really think should be on this list because just a little bit close to home. It's the things that that we see in others that we respond to and we hit up against. But that's not really who we are, and it's not really who they are. And when we exist only on this level, then there's never any depth to it. There's never any room for healing in it because it's not real. It's the places in us where we pursue comfort and convenience. Like I said, we make excuses for it sometimes. We don't go deeper. We don't don't take the time to allow God to show us what might be really going on beneath the surface of what we see. So this morning, I I don't want to just talk about these things because it's really good to see them. It's really good to see that there's more than meets the eye. But we also have to recognize that when we start to see these things that there's a reason for it and there's something that we must do if we want to walk in a manner worthy of what of that which we've been called to if we want to start to mature and grow then what we have to do is we have to invite the holy spirit into these places and that as things come up and situations arise that we don't just excuse them away we don't just pretend like it didn't exist we don't just buy them flowers or candy or whatever the equivalent is to try to make it all better But we take the time to really look and say, God, what are you wanting to show me in the midst of this circumstance? It's the place where we invite Jesus in to bring the healing that we need. Because it all comes out of a place of brokenness, and we all have it. It all comes out of lies that we've believed in, and we all have those lies. But can we invite the Holy Spirit in to identify these things and then to understand the power of the cross, what Jesus did for each one of us when he went to the cross of Calvary to bring us freedom, to bring us the ability to walk in the newness of life, to be able to understand that whatever it is that we have, whatever it is that we've walked in, we don't have to stay in that place anymore. You see, sometimes these things very much feel like a mountain. They feel unmovable. We've dealt with the same things. Maybe we've gone gone around the mountain over and over and over again. If we are going to be who God has made us to be, if we are going to step in the identity that He has for us, if we as a church are going to have the impact in this community that we want to have, we have to be willing to go deeper and to address these things so that we're not dealing with each other on a surface level that never accomplishes anything, but that we're looking at other people to try and see the God inside of them instead of the manifestation of the insecurities that they put forward. If we're going to be a church of empowerment, we have to be a church that looks for the truth and even when we run up against someone else's defense mechanisms, that we don't just say, I'm done with them. We don't just write them off. Look what they did to me. No, we go back and say, Jesus, can you show me who they really are? Can you show me their identity? Because they don't seem to know it, but, but if maybe if you show me, I can start to speak to that thing. I can start to bring the truth of who they are out of them. And and then we on our own are looking at these things in our lives to make sure that we're allowing the Spirit to speak to us so that we're becoming who we really are. So we're not allowing the trauma and the hurts of the past and the victim mentality that likes to come up in our lives to say, this happened to you and therefore this is who you are. No, who am I? I know what the truth of the Word of God says and I don't feel that way. So what are the things standing in the way? What are the lies that I believed? What are you wanting to show me in this time, Jesus? Because when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to invite the Holy Spirit in, when we're willing to do this in community with people that we trust and we love, we start to find, okay, this is who I really am. I no longer have to look at the deficit of what I don't have because I know what I do have in Him. I don't have to blame. I don't have to protect anymore. And then we start to see who we really are come to the forefront. I want to ask if the worship team would come back up this morning. You See, there's this passage in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. And it's Jesus speaking to his disciples. And they said, why couldn't we do this thing? And he said, it was because of your little faith. I tell you the truth If you have faith the size of the mustard seed You will say to this mountain Move from here to there And it will move And nothing will be impossible for you These things do tend to feel really big And, and we may have pushed them to the, to the back burner So we don't have to look at them anymore But this is what I want to ask That you would do this morning That we would take the time to say, Holy Spirit, will you show me the truth? Will you show me what this mountain looks like? Will you show me the places that I have believed the lie? And then we would do what Jesus said. That we would look at the mountain. And that we would speak to it today. That we would say, I I see where what this has been and what this has looked like, but I'm going to choose to come out of agreement with those things. I'm going to choose to say, to the mountain, to the place where I don't feel like I've had the identity, to the places of hurt and pain. I I don't agree with you anymore. I'm not going to empower you anymore. I'm I'm going to choose not to have my thoughts come in alignment with the lie of the enemy, but I'm going to choose today to say, Holy Spirit, will you show me who I really am? Will you show me the grace that I have available to me through what Jesus did on the cross to overcome those places? And I really feel like there's something here today just in this community part that that you would bring those around me that I can step into relationship with, that we can build and do life together to see who you've made me to be. We don't talk about these things just so we can become more aware of our problems. But we look at these things so that we can ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to bring the correction, to bring the healing, to bring the truth that we need.